Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. Is worship singing? Is worship obedience? Is worship sacrificial? Is worship also gladly, freely given? Ooh, so worship's a lot of things, right? That's why it's huge. There's commands to worship, but then there's also these, these free will givings of worship where people fall down and worship. So we're going to talk about worship because I believe the Lord wants to reclaim worship here. And nobody in here has worship figured out. So can you posture your heart, your body, your mind to give worship to God? And I don't care if you're like this, but if you're giving worship to him, I'm just going to worship the Lord. And you're like, what? what? I'm just going to worship God. All right, so Lord, we worship you. We give you honor. We bestow glory and power and praise and worship to you. Jesus, you are the high king of heaven and earth. Bring your kingdom to bear in this room. May the demons of hell flee, and may the power of the cross be poured out. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you are the Lord of all things. We bow down and declare that you are worthy, that you are holy, that you are wonderful to behold, and belonging to you is the great privilege of my life. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to sing to you. I want to praise you at your feet. I want to oil like the woman. I want to be scandalous in my praise. There's no one found more worthy than you. Can you just start doing that in your seat? So for those of you that aren't, you're like, what's going on? Are they worshiping? Is worship happening in this room right now? And why is worship happening in this room right now? Because nobody's singing. Dave's not up here strumming. No one's commanded you to do anything, but worship is taking place. So what is worship? And why does God command us to do it? But really quick, I just want you to get so enthralled with Jesus. Some of you came here and you don't know Jesus Christ, and I have good news. You get to know God if you want to. And the way that you do that is if you repent of your sin and come to Jesus Christ, he gives you life. And then you get the maker of heaven and earth, the one who made life, you get him. You get to know him. The reason I weep is because I know a man named Jesus Christ. I know him. I feel his love and his affection. When I pray, I know he hears me. He speaks to me. I love his word. I love his ways. And when he walks in a room, worship happens. And what these hearts are doing, Jesus has walked into a heart, into a life, and worship has entered and is now being expressed. So we're going to talk a lot about worship this next month. It is way too big a topic, which is why I feel nervous. I don't feel nervous about many biblical topics. If you were like, teach predestination, I'd be like, bam, you know, teach me worship. I can't, I can't teach you the fullness of what worship is. I spent the first years of my Christian life, this is how I worshiped, small as possible, keeping my hands down, no emotion. And then there was a moment, and I know where it was, and I, I don't know what it was, was. I just know that God was like, you're going to worship me in your living room. 
no one around, and you're going to give me full praise right now. And I turned on a song, and I, I, for the, one of the first times in my life, I expressed myself in worship. I kneeled, and I lifted my hands, and I made a big deal about God. And somewhere in there, it went from my head, because I got a lot of knowledge about God, and I love him a lot, but it, went, it like connected the thing. And all of a sudden, my head and my heart were like, what is happening? And I want to worship God how he's deserving. Not how we like. And here's the thing. The problem when you study a topic like worship, everybody has an opinion. You all have an opinion on worship. Do you not? So if you're of my charismatic persuasion, what's up? You're like, why didn't we worship for three hours? Why are you talking already? Right? I understand you. Now, some of you, though, you come from my background. You're like, where are the hymnals? My hymnal brethren, I love you. I have worshiped God with a hymnal open and felt the joy and the affection of God and given him praise in a hymn. You're like, in a hymn? In a hymn. So it has nothing to do with music. It has a lot to do with hearts. And here's the reality where we're at right now, why we're even teaching this. So you all know what's going on. Two months ago, and this will seem like, oh, I was sitting in the sound booth, and I really felt like I heard the Spirit of God say, teach the church deep, not wide. Teach them these six things. And the very first thing he said was worship. And I don't think he said teach. He said, I want you to form, I want to form worship at Cobblestone. Will you let God form you in worship? Will you let the living God, who's not dead, who we get to know, biblical fact, form how you worship? Because to say to the Lord, well, here's the song I got, take it, feels a little bit not like worship. And so as I, on this topic of worship, um, we're going to let Jesus simplify it. Um, well, let's do this. I'll read a definition of a man that I trust. How about that? Everybody heard of Sam Storms? If you don't, the, theology and practicality meet in this man, all right? And that's why I like him. He said, worship begins in the mind with deep biblical thoughts about God. Did you hear that? Where does worship start? Knowing true things about the living God. And where has the living God, the one true God, the one that's not an idol, who sees and speaks, where does he reveal himself? In the word of God. So as I read this, these true biblical deep thoughts, robust and expansive truths about who he is, his greatness and his glory, this in turn inflames what? my heart. The problem is so many of us, we were taught to learn about Jesus in a school book form, and I memorized this, and I hid it, and I taught myself Greek, and I looked all these ways so that I could intellectually figure out God. I'm smiling. That's impossible. Anybody got God figured out? Got a perfect knowledge of who he is and what he does and why he does it? Me either, right? So when the Bible says that God is holy, and then I take that from my head, and I put it in my heart, and then I let the Holy Spirit just like reveal that to me, all of a sudden, it goes heart, head, out of my mouth. Wow. Holy. 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 And now worship's taking place. 
expansive truths, this in turn inflames the heart, awakens passionate affections for God, such as joy, gladness, delight, reverence, gratitude, admiration, love, fear, zeal, deep satisfaction in all that God is for us in Jesus. This in turn finds expression in all of life, whether in singing or speaking or serving or sacrificing or acting or dancing or kneeling, all well as in the decisions we make or the way we live life in general. Thus, worship happens when the mind is gripped with the revelation of great truths about God and the heart and the affections are set on fire with joy and satisfaction and gratitude and gladness and admiration and the mouth explodes in songs of praise and proclamations of the incomparable greatness of God. Did you get all that? You're like, that's a lot of big words. I agree. And there's a lot of like inflaming and admiration. But that is what theology, if you're a theology person, which we all are, what's theology? The study of, of God. God's study, ology. Studying the things of God, the ways of God, the character of God. And this is why we study this, because we want to know the God that said this. We study him. And then what's that lead to? It leads to a word called doxology. Anybody know what that word means? You're like, no. What is that? Praise. Good theology, good study of God always leads to worship. If you're studying God and you don't start worshiping, you're doing it wrong. So the more we study God, the deeper we go into the word, the more we should worship. The more we know and study the face of Jesus Christ revealed in Scripture, the more we should doxologize, that's not a real word, we should praise. But so often we stop with the study and then we go, the song's not really necessary. then why are they singing everywhere I look in the Bible? And this isn't like, I mean, Old Testament, we could walk through it. They're constantly singing. When they go to war, they're like, don't send the warriors, send the singers. Can you imagine if President Biden was like, I got a plan, send the singers. We'd make fun of him more than you already do. Like, seriously, it would be wild. If anybody in their right mind was like, you know what? We're not going to send warriors. We're going to send worshipers. God will win this. That's the story of the Bible. You, you get to shepherds in a field. When Jesus Christ shows up, what do they do? They worship a baby. They haven't figured it out yet. They just did it. What? They worship him. Every time someone encounters Jesus in the New Testament, they do a similar thing whoa, not worthy to be around you. Worship is every, almost every chapter of the Bible. Sometimes it's sacrifice, sometimes it's with words, sometimes with songs, sometimes with shofar, sometimes with flags, sometimes with lots of stuff that if we did it here in this room, you and I would get uncomfortable. But I think we gotta figure it out because I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to be formed around worshiping God rightly here. So let's let Jesus simplify Sam Storm's definition for us, because it's really simple. Jesus walked the earth, and he talked about worship. He talked about what was acceptable. In Matthew 15, um, he said this. He's talking to a group of Pharisees. 
but it pulls right in the middle a principle of what God wants from you. You hypocrites, which if Jesus says that to you, not a good thing, right? Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So right in the middle, what does Jesus say is very far from their worship with him? Shaped like this, their heart. And the Hebrew Jewish idea of heart is not your it's not what they're talking about. When they talk about Jewish world, about the heart, they're talking about the center of who you are. The connecting point between your spirit, your mind, all that you are. So your emotions, your affections, your intellect, your will, that's the heart of the Jewish mind. When they say heart, they mean your, your, your everything is not mine, is what Jesus just said. So is it possible you can say and sing all the right things and not worship God? Is that possible? So we could sing the songs wholeheartedly, but still not worship. You could quote scripture. You could even join corporate confessions of sin, take communion, and still not worship. Right? That's how I read it. It's possible then to take, come in here every Sunday and worship still not to take place. Why? Because Jesus says that, it, you know, what makes worship real is the engagement of the heart. Which is why if there's no music, worship can be happening. Which is why we must learn to worship not with just our heart. This is my mind, not my heart. Not just with our intellect and not just with our emotions, but to marry those two things. And to worship God and love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Which is much harder than just singing a song. Will it be songs? Sure. Well, let me give you some examples I, I think are going on right now in America. Right now in America, there's another church somewhere in this nation that is filled with people who are passionate, who are weeping, who are dancing, who are doing, I don't know what that was, I apologize, who are doing all kinds of really just emotional, they love the music, they're vibrating almost, but God is not honored in it. Because it is not connected to the God of the Bible, it's connected to a God that they created somehow and liked the feeling. It's not even for him at some point. They just like to do what they're doing. There's another style of church and it's a church that's so theologically accurate that they are all in agreement on what the great doctrines of truth are. But they are unmoved. When they sing, it's cold, and there's little love in the house. And so I don't want to be a church that builds a spiritual culture where it would be possible to honor God with our lips, but our hearts to be far from him. In fact, my goal is to make you uncomfortable, if that's you. If, if you're like, man, I just really want to be here, but I don't want my heart engaged, Jesus wants all of you. All of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your soul. He wants it all. And that right there, that point, I can, 
we could worship, and that's why you can't judge worship. I can look at a man going like this with tears in his eyes, and he could not be worshiping. I could look at a man sitting quietly like this, and he could be full of worship of God. Who can see your heart? God can. Does he have your heart? Does Jesus Christ have your life? And that's, that's a really, I, I hope you're all going, yeah, yes. So what I'd like to do is I want to pray. And you're like, haven't we already? Yes. But I specifically want to pray as a body, because this isn't just me and this isn't just a couple elders. This is us going, God, would you form worship here? Form us to worship you rightly. And if you're not here and you're like, man, this guy's a lot, I agree, I'm a lot today, I feel a mess, so uh, you can write me about it, and I'll be like, I'm sorry. So, Jesus, we give you our full attention right now. You are the great object of my affection. I love you. We love you. We are thankful for that you bought us with a great price that you shed your blood and broke your body, and that you died and rose again from the dead. And we give ourselves afresh to you, that we say, yes, Jesus Christ, whatever you want, you get. If it's a song, we'll sing it. If it's a sacrifice, we'll give it. You have been good to us. You are so good to us. Teach us afresh, Holy Spirit of the living God, to worship in spirit and truth. To not worship just with our mind or not just with our emotions, but both of those things together with all our hearts. I ask you to do something here that would shake the nations, God. To make this a house of worship and prayer. Where your glory resides. Where people come and they encounter you. Where they know you, the living God, and praise is freely given. Set us free from anything that holds us. In Jesus' name, ever, amen. Anybody in here ever been catechized? You're like, stop using doxologies and theologies. Anybody ever done a catechism? Done a cat Anybody even know what that is? Great. So in catechisms, it's basically a question and answer form to learn theology. And so it's a really easy way that you can learn. So if there's one of these called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Anybody? Got it memorized, don't you? So if I was to ask you a question, what is the chief end of man? What do you say? Somebody said it. But what is the goal? Why did God create man? And it's not just man if you're a woman. It's humankind. Why were we created? We're getting there. You're like, to wor this is a worship series. So you're like, it's got to be worship. It's got to be so we were created, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So once again, we're going to say it again. What is the chief end of man? You have a mission statement for your life. You're like, oh, that, that's simple. It's simple, but hard. So you're, the reason that you were created is to glorify him and the thing I want to talk about today is this word, right? Ooh, that's there. You, woo, we need a new TV. Okay. 
glorify him, and then a thing I think we struggle with, enjoy him. The root of actual true worship is actually enjoying God. And no, I, I never was taught to enjoy God. I was told to obey God. I was told to fear God. I was told to respect God. I was told to learn the ways of God, but no one ever told me, enjoy him. And that is the great switch that I think the Lord wants to do. That we would go from, I'm gonna offer you a song to, it's a pleasure to worship and enjoy you. So let's talk about that. We were created and redeemed to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Your main occupation after you die is what? Worship and enjoyment of God. That's it. So every time we gather in this room and we sing, you're practicing for eternity. And if you're here and you've been, I've been this guy where I'm like, can we just stop with the singing? Let's get to the word, the stuff that actually matters. Do you know what's not going to be happening in heaven? Preaching. Do you know what's going to be happening all the time? Worship. You know what you're going to hate a lot if you're like, I hate the singing. You're really not going to like heaven. It's going to be rough. About the millionth time the angels and the eyeball creatures sing the song, you're going to be like this again, except you're not, because you're fully going to see for at least the first million years, every time you look at them, you're going to go, wow. And you're going to go, I enjoy looking at you. I enjoy being with you. You are worthy. What in the world? I didn't see that before. You are so good. And then he, it's just going to be an enjoyment with God for the rest of your life. So what are we doing when we're singing? We're doing a very eternal, heavenly thing. That's a beautiful thing. So if you're here and you were like, you're like me, you keep your hands in the pockets and you worship God. If you're here and you're like, hey, can we just stop singing? Well, no. We can't. We can't. And so we were created, number one, created. God created, and this is where the rub for some of us are. Why would God create us just to sing to him? And I've heard this from atheists before. Your God is so narcissistic. All he is just like, praise me, like he's some Madonna. Praise me. You better sing to me or I'm going to smite thee. I've heard that out of an atheist's mouth. And I'm like, you got it all wrong. And your view of how great humanity is, is real skewed. And so God, how do you worship? How do you give anything to a God that doesn't need anything? Go ahead, think of something that God needs that you could give him. Go ahead. Does he need your cows? You're like, my cows? So in the Old Testament, they were constantly sacrificing livestock to atone for their sin and to worship God. So go ahead, give him, give him your money. Does he need it? Go ahead, give him. Give him what? What are you going to give him? He has no need. And so it comes to this rub, and this is why I think as an Americans we struggle. You're like, why would we sing? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't, we're very purpose-driven, and if it doesn't, A plus B doesn't equal C, why the heck do it? But in that regard, why do we pray? What does it physically do? 
Thank you. I like this woman. She got feisty with me. She's like, don't you talk about prayer. I'll smack you, son. I love that because it does something, right? But no, what I mean is we're very practical in our Western mindsets, and we're going, singing, it just seems superfluous, and I don't, I don't, why do I even need to sing it? I'll just speak the truths of God. And then you begin to see that we were created to give glory, honor, magnification to the things of who, God's worth. Not only created for it, but when Jesus Christ redeemed you from sinful death, right? You're, you're dead in your sin. You're not making it to heaven. Jesus shows up and goes, I'm going to save you. Who gets glory in that exchange? You or God? Jesus Christ does, right? We were created and redeemed to glorify God by enjoying him forever. In Genesis 3, there's a fascinating verse right after the fall of mankind. They sin. They do what they're not supposed to do. And it's entered in, and creation's fractured, and everybody, even creation's groaning probably, like, oh, no. God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, I have to believe up to this point he's done this before. So prior to sin, you have this enjoying, Adam and Eve, God, walking together, enjoying each other's company, talking about creation. Man, God, I was really trying to rule that giraffe today. He was really wiry. And then God's like, yeah, you get him tomorrow, Adam. You're like, that's not in the Bible. It's not. But in that one line in Genesis 3, I have to think that's what it was supposed to look like. And enjoying with God, of being with God. And then I look, I fast forward to the end of all things, the book of Revelation, which we're going to study here in a second. And what are God's people doing? They're enjoying him. They're with him. They don't even need the sun anymore because he's the sun. He's the center. He's the point, which he was always supposed to be. So when we talk about glorifying God, how can you glorify God? Just yell me some things. Pray. Worship. I heard that. You're like, which worship series? Just say worship for the next four weeks and you'll be good. You're not so sure, huh? God is glorious, and he's actually really about his own glory. Does that hurt your feelings? So let me ask you a question. What is the best, most glorious thing in all of creation? What's the highest object of praise? What's the best thing in the universe and past the universe? God is, right? Do you you believe that? So let me ask you a question. This is like logic a little bit. Does he know it? Does God know that he's the best thing? Does he know? So if God is really about the best thing and he knows he's the best thing, then yeah, he's about his own glory because that's the best thing. And so the best thing that God can do is to remove your own glory and give it to him. And if God wants the best for you, what's he going to give you? Say it. If God is going to give you the best thing for you, what is he going to give you? Himself. He's going to give you himself. And so as you start to learn this topic, I I think glorifying God is this idea of like magnifying how good he is showing off, proclaiming the excellencies of him who saved us from the kingdom of darkness. This is First Peter I'm quoting. Glorifying God, making him bigger in view, and then enjoying him forever. Anybody in here 
just really enjoy eating chicken wings? What's up, bro? You know, I just made some on my smoker the other day. You know what I mean? I'm like elbow deep, just like, these are so good. (laughs) Did you try this one? What is that? That's enjoyment, right? And I'm telling people in the room, isn't this good? Do you taste the smoke in there? Look at that smoke ring. You know what I mean? What am I doing? Well, I'm glorifying the wings. I'm making them bigger. I'm being like, man, right? And this is the nature of praise. Humans, humankind, we worship. We glorify things we enjoy. We praise what we like. Dudes, I mean, physical men in the room, dudes, you do this with your ladies. You know that, right? This is why all the songs have ever been written. Like, isn't she lovely? Because this is what mankind does. We find something we like, and we're like, isn't it nice? Look, it does this, right? The coffee doesn't come out. Oh, it does. You know, so... Right, but this is what we do, right? And so on, on one level, you got to understand, worship is an expression of praise and magnifying, glorying in something. And you, we do it about ridiculous stuff. We do it about chicken wings. We do it about the women we like or the men we like. We do it about all the stuff in the world. And then we get to God, who is the best thing in all of everything, and we go, I can't get too weird. And I'm like, no, get weird. Get really loud about it. I think God's better than chicken wings. But then we're in there and we're like, all right, chicken wing, Instagram, you see these chicken wings? You know what I mean? We're taking pictures of our wings. We're trying different types of wings. We're taking them to the neighbors. And then you're like, I can't do that with my love for God. Why? Why? C.S. Lewis, everybody know who that is? Uh, He wrestled with this thought. This idea that God demands our praise, that somehow it felt really like, you feel really narcissistic, God. Uh, and in, he wrote a whole book about it, actually, and this is what he said. Um, if you, who's on the slides? Ben, this is like at the end, because I don't know where I am today. But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought into check. You ever felt that in worship? I'm naturally introverted, and I naturally, for years, I don't want people looking at me. This is for, this is for Jesus, right? So that's shyness and a little bit of fear. But I've also been in rooms where one single worshiper changed the whole room. We were talking about this last night in my living room, Anna was, and it was from a book, and it's the woman that comes in and breaks up Jesus' dinner with the Pharisees and his disciples and washes his feet. Do you know why that's scandalous? Because everybody in the room was just like, so just like, I'm offended. You ever watch somebody offend you in worship? I have. Grown men weeping. I'm like, get your emotions in check. He's like, I just love Jesus. And I'm over here just cold. True, pure worship will offend. The question is, who do you want to offend, God or man? And I know that's pretty black and white, but I live in a pretty black and white world. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Please don't have mistresses. 
Romeo praising Juliet and vice versa. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. And this is what I was talking about. The world's full of praise. The world is full of praise. Everything from stamps to beetles. And I've met, you've met those people? The people that are like, wow, the flora and the fauna, wow. And you're like, who made those? Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise always seems to be inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist is telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. And so that command in the Psalms, praise the Lord! We hear it as, you better. And they're like, He's so good. Praise him. And it's an invitation. And how good has God been to every person in this room? How good? Real good. good. I mean, we can make that a chant. How good? Real good. I feel like a locker room chant. (laughs) How good? Real good. Yeah, like, and and this is the reality is sometimes though, and this is why I think we push against worship, you could fake that. You could have your heart nowhere in it and someone could go, how good? And you go, real good. And then like, no heart, no love of the things of God, but you really like the chant. And so what we do as humans is then we go, well, I'm, not, I'm just going to make sure I don't fake any of it. I sometimes walk into worship, and I'm not there. Anybody else? I come to church, and I'm like, I'm tired. I didn't sleep well. I don't really know what I'm about to say. That makes me nervous. I'm out of call. I just like not in the mindset. We get about through a song, and I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm here for you. <laughs> not the other way around. And then we get through the second song, and I'm like actually in, in getting in my heart, like starting to praise God. And then we stop. And I'm like, don't stop. And then I come up, and I'm like, Dave, we're just going to sing another song. Let's go. And you're all like, why? Because so, I, I, sometimes there's a rev up time on this thing, and that's okay. I don't think God's like, you better, or that, those days are over. But there's a glad invitation to come into the throne room of God and to worship him. And not because we have to and not because he demands it, but yes, we get to. And so really what I've learned, and well, C.S. Lewis has taught me and others, is praise completes our joy. So some of you need to learn this like with your spouse. You love her a lot, right, guys? but you're like, I can't tell her. Or I'll give her some really dinky flowers once a year on our anniversary and go grunt at her. She knows, (laughs) right? But in those tender moments when no one else is around and you whisper to her, I couldn't be with anybody else. I love you. What is that? It's praise, and it's completing a joy. That's the heart of worship is God, I have eternal joy with you. In your presence is fullness of life. And it's not full, it's not complete until it comes out. Because in giving the praise and telling Anna that she's a lovely woman and I love being with her and I don't want to be with any of you all, I want to be with her. Like that is praise. 
and it's not complete. She doesn't know it, and so there's this sharing in worship of an enjoyment of a person, enjoying God. And Lewis explained it like this, and then we'll get into the Bible, and you're like, what time is it even? Okay. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. So you eat a good food, and there's no one to tell about it. Aren't you a little bit like, I wish my friend Dave was here so I could tell him about my chicken wings, right? Because there's something about talking about it and being like, man, that's good. And there's something about encountering Jesus Christ and then standing in the throng of the beloved and going, man, he's good. And it's different. It's different than if I'm at home in my fireplace room by myself. I love to sing to Jesus Christ and him alone. I also equally love to stand in the congregation of the people of God and worship God. Because it's a fullness of joy. It's a coming together. It's a consummation is what he says. It is an appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. That's the worst. (laughs) Do you understand what he's saying? There's a fullness of joy when we come to God and we enjoy him, and then we share that enjoyment in worship. And so some of us, we've, we've been like, well, my emotions are bad. They are not. God made your emotions. They can lie to you, but what we're trying to do is, God, not only redeem my mind, redeem my emotions, redeem my heart, redeem my thoughts, redeem all of me, and make it worthy to worship you fully. That's what we're doing. So the question is, if this is the thing we're trying to do, we're trying to give an expression to an inward reality, we know God. Well, step one is, do you know God? Has he consumed you? Have you met the man, Jesus Christ, and do you walk with him and talk with him? Do you spend time with him every day? And I'm not talking about a checklist, I'm talking about a person. I'm talking about a man that died on a tree, died, was in a ground for three days and rose to life and now holds the keys to life in Hades itself and then comes to you and goes, do you want eternal life to enjoy me forever? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God unless they come to Jesus. That's the door. I don't know what this is. It's a door. But once you get in the door, now you're in the house. In the house, he lives there. And we live with him. And we get to know him. We get to encounter him. He gets to minister to us. And we get to minister to people on his behalf. We get to gather and gladly worship him. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I'm going to give you one practical step, which is my goal for the rest of these four weeks, is not be like, well, you got to kneel, you got to turn to the south, and you got to get on a rug. No, none of that, all right? But I agree with A.W. Tozer that in this current day and age, pure worship is hard to find. He said, if biblical Christianity is to survive the present world upheaval, we shall need to have a fresh revelation of the greatness and the beauty of Jesus. 
He alone can raise our cold hearts to rapture and restore us again to the art of true worship. A.W. Tozer, my dog's named Tozer. I love A.W. Tozer, all right? That man talks about God like he's in the room, almost like he is. And so when I think, okay, well, how, how do we start to let God form us? It actually co- kind of correlates with the thing David Barry's been feeling and the whole worship team's on right now. And it's this one word, behold. You know what that word means? Stare at, look at, perceive, take in, look at the beauty of Jesus Christ. So I'd like to do that, and then I'd like to worship. Not with like any like, oh, you got to clap, or this better get into a, you know, a circle, or you better do some laps, none of that. Just hearing everything you just heard, that we would allow God to start forming our worship. And so if you would, would you open a Bible to Revelation chapter 4? I want to show you your eternal destination. If you are in Christ, I already talked about it, this is your job description. And some of you are freaked out about it because you're like, it's going to get so boring, I guarantee you there'll be nothing boring about it. So Revelation chapter 4, you have John the Apostle, he's exiled on an island, and all of a sudden, he's literally caught up into heaven in the Spirit. So it means he's not physically there, but it's real, and he's seeing things that are actually going on. And it says, in the last days, you know, look at this, John, look at this and write it down, because this is what's going to happen. You're like, didn't we just talk about this? When I think about worship, I most often think about this scene that we're about to read, because it is what's going on right now. If people are like, what's heaven like? Read them this chapter. What's going on there? Read them this chapter. Who's on the throne? Read them this chapter. What are the angels doing? Read them this chapter. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne was as was as it were a sea of grass like crystal. So he sees these things in the spirit of God. And he's like, it's kind of like jewels and jasper and car- like all these glass fields and eyes. He's like, it's kind of like that, but I can't really tell you what it's like because it's heavenly. That's what he's doing. He's not saying when you get there, it's gonna be glass. And he's saying it kind of looked like that, but I'm running out of human words. But one thing you can pick out that you do know what it looks like, it, there's a throne. In the middle of all this, there is a throne. And who sits on a throne in human minds? A king. And there is one who is on the throne. Christian, there is someone on the throne of heaven. And it's not you. And it's not an angel. And it's not world powers. There is the one on the throne, the living God. And around his throne, you'd be like, where are the harp angels? But no, no. There are flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. 
So apparently, if we're going to worship God rightly, we need to have people in here with little, like, like thunder little shaky shakes and just flash the lights a bunch. Get the atmosphere of heaven up in here. And around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say. And we'll read that in a second. I always call these eyeball creatures, but they're not. They represent all of creation. So you got oxes and eagles and it's all this, these powerful figures of light. All creation stares and points to God on high as the source of who they are. And then there's these eyeballs, right? Now, if you picture this, I always joke with like our Christmas tree choppers, put that on top of your Christmas tree. That's an angel. You're like, no, that's a seraphim, whatever. Break down your words all you want. And they have eyeballs all over but their main occupation, what are they looking at? Who are they staring at with all those eyeballs? Because they're probably seeing a lot of things. And if I had eyeballs behind me right now and over here, I could look at Anna while I'm looking at Jeremiah, while I'm looking at you, but they're not. So they look at with one of their eyeballs, they look at the one on the throne and they all together collectively yell one thing. Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they come back with another eyeball and they see him from a different angle. And they don't have any new words, but they have the same amount of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And then they come with another eyeball and another eyeball and another angle and another place and viewing God. And they, all they have to say is holy, holy, holy. And we hear that like a monk. Like there's eyeball creatures in heaven that in a monotone voice are going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord going on. No, I, remember enjoyment of God. In God's presence is the fullness of joy. Now picture eyeball creatures looking at God and what would it sound like if they were this in awe? They were enjoying God. There's the fullness of joy when they say that. Holy, holy, holy are you who is and is and is to come. Wow, that's what they're doing. And every time they look at it, it's almost like they forgot the first time and they come right back around and they do it again 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 and they do it again. Why? Not because they have to, because they are compelled by beholding the beauty of the one on the throne. They see him and they go, wow. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the Lord, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. Does that include you? So to the one on the throne, these elders dressed in white with crowns, throw everything. These, that's the sign of their power. That's the sign of their rights. That's the sign of their dignity. They throw it at the feet of the one on the throne and they go, by your will, everything was created for you and by you. So when we come to worship, we could say the same thing, right? 
I was created by you, and I was created for you, and I enjoy being yours. This is the heart of worship. That is the heart of worship. And I wonder if we more and more as a people the next four months would set our minds on that. Not so much on like, I like two songs. Can we have one upbeat? Can we do a hymn? And more like when we gather with expectation, it will be with this in our minds. That we are joining a heavenly reality. That we are joining a song that has gone on. And I do actually think that this song here, I know he's saying, oh, this is what it's happening and I see it now at the end times. I think this has been going on a long time. This song has never not been sung. Because every time they look at him, they go, wow, and they worship. And so if you're here, I'm actually not hating on your worship, but a clear sign that I'm not actually looking at the right things is if my worship is, is depleted. But when I see Jesus Christ, when I fill my mind with who he is by the word of God, my emotions are inflamed and everything comes together and I can't help but sing. Do you enjoy God? Can you turn your idea? This, I, there's so, like I said, so many ideas of worship. There is a sacrifice part to it. There is an obedience part to it. It's not just a song, 100%, but it definitely does include singing. But can you change your thought to think, what would it look like if my worship was enjoying God? That's your mission when we worship to enjoy God, to bless him. I hope he likes this. And if he likes it, I bless it. Do it. If it makes our Savior smile, honored, gloried in, and made magnified, do it. So if that, you're like, what, I, can't, like I don't want to be weird. Be weird. If it's for him, I got your back. I've been a little weird in my days. There's no one more worthy. He gave his life and all of his obedience and drank the cup fully that I might have life. So he gets all of mine. And when I gather in his name and when I get to heaven, I'll say, I gave you every song. And if all I can say is I sang with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength because you're worthy, then that's, all, that's what I'll give. So I, what I'd like you to do right now is just assume a posture of prayer and enjoying God. You get to know him right now. And don't worry about singing, and don't worry about expression, and don't worry about manifestation. Just worry about enjoying God. He's very real. And I want to invite him, I think he's here, I invite him to make you aware of his presence. And then I want you to enjoy him. So Dave, you want to come up here? I want you to enjoy God. And you're like, that's a foreign concept to me. Then you are missing the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is to bring you back to God. A knowledge, a revelation, and a hope. Whew, that's full of joy. Father, I thank you that I can call you that. That I am a son. Father, I ask in the name of your son Jesus that you would fill this room with your glory with the knowledge of your power, with a revelation and an understanding of who you are. 
we gladly give you our attention and we come to enjoy you. That we are like, we're like lovers and, and the joy is not complete until we give voice to it. So thank you that we get to gather and make a great big deal of your name. So God is drawing some of you in your seats to enjoy him for the first time ever to give voice to not just your mind, but your heart and mind coming together and going, God, I know big thoughts about you, but I give you my love right now. May your presence come and rest on people, God. Holy Spirit, fall. Break every chain and make us aware of heavenly things. May the kingdom of heaven come. There is no one like our God. So right there in your heart, you begin to offer worship. It doesn't have to be a song. You might feel drawn to kneel. You might feel drawn to come up. You might feel drawn to lift your hands. You might feel drawn to start singing a song of love to your Savior. Pure worship. So I want to try a thing, and I'm going to let Dave just start worshiping the Lord. I'm going to fill our minds with the truth of the Bible. Then I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to push you to respond, and then hearts full of fire and love, we're going to, we're going to adore Jesus. This is what the Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 1. This is about you if you are in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, things in heaven, things on earth. Jesus, thank you for blessing us in the spiritual heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. Thank you that your word says that you chose us before time began to belong to you. That right now we are holy and blameless because of your blood poured out. That you predestined to adopt us. You wanted to adopt us. You wanted us to be yours. And we are yours and yours are ours. We give you ourselves right now. We worship you right now in spirit and truth, with mind and body, with heart and soul, with all that we are. May the Lord be praised. Church, worship God. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.